All right, uh, good things coming, and welcome to class number 25, Discipleship Counselor Training Class. Let me uh, apologize to those of you online who uh, were watching and wondering why there was no audio. I started the countdown slide, but didn't, on the uh, broadcast controller, I didn't swap uh, that the countdown over, so rookie mistake. I'm going to blame it on all these beautiful people in the room that I was talking with, but uh, anyway, um, good things, praise God. We're excited about uh, this evening and what the Lord has uh, prepared for us. So um, let's pray, and we'll get started. Father, thank you for life and peace. To know you is life, Father, and to be spiritually minded is life and peace, Lord, in our life realities. Thank you, Lord, for the things that you're helping us lay hold of. Thank you, Father, for the wisdom Lord, that's producing results in our lives. Lord, uh, tangible results, measurable results, verifiable results, Father. Things that we can point to and say, look at what my God has done for me. And Lord, I just uh, thank you for your loving uh, us and always believing the best about us. Uh, Lord, you've, you've, we've given you plenty of opportunity to give up on us, Father, and you have refused to take a single one of those opportunities, but you've been there for us over and over and over again. And so, Lord, we want to be faithful to you like you're faithful to us. We want to walk with you the way you desire to walk with us, Father. And so we thank you for helping us tonight learn and understand the things that we need to know and understand. And we thank you for, again, good things coming. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. and amen. Praise God. All right, um, so let's just kind of jump in here. We've got um, a lot still to cover in the weeks that we have uh, remaining, and um, we're in a very important section of our uh, class time together in that we're answering what on the surface seems like a pretty simple question, but the deeper we dig into this, we see that it's anything uh, but, uh, it may be a simple question, but there's anything but a simple answer to this. It's a very deep, very complex uh, answer that um, has so much to do with um, our lives, our life realities, and, and how um, Father God created us. And so that question is, what is man? And we've answered so far that man is a God-class being, and we reviewed that uh, and covered that pretty extensively, so we're not going to even try to review it. And then last week, we moved over into man is a spirit being. Man is a spirit being. Now, this is one of the more challenging concepts of truth for us to renew our minds to. Because, you know, we, we get up, you know, in the mornings and we, you know, go brush our teeth and comb our hair, take a shower, whatever. In other words, so much of our lives are focused on our flesh and our, and our physical existence and how we feel physically and whether or not we're hungry and what we're going to eat and, you know, all these physical needs, physical things. You know, when we say fleshly desires, sometimes we hear that and we think that that's like something negative or sinful. I mean, our flesh needs rest. It desires rest. Our flesh needs food. It, it, it can't go very long without oxygen or water. Um, and so, you know, so, again, acquiring these things and, 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 you know, meeting those types of physical needs is so much a part of what presses us on a daily basis that it's very, very easy for us to think of ourselves as a physical being instead of the spirit being that we are. But, again, you are a spirit being. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. You are a spirit. You have a soul. Your soul is the part of you that thinks, feels, and chooses, mind, emotions, and will. And then, like a hand in a glove, your spirit and soul are plugged into this thing that we call flesh or a physical body. Now, we, 
looked at so many verses last week, I'm not going to try to go back and review all of those, but we see that when the spirit is separated from the body, the spirit and soul separated from the body, we call that death. Remember I told you last week that one of the key things I want you to remember about wisdom is that wisdom equals results. And the one thing I want you to remember about death is that death equals separation. So when someone is physically, you know, dies, they don't cease to exist. We looked at when Stephen was being stoned and he saw Jesus stand at the right hand of God the Father. I've heard different sermons on that particular uh, historical event in the, in the church. And I think there's something to, because the Bible tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. But I believe he stood to his feet in honor of Stephen and his sacrifice. So he, remember he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. And he, and he asked him to receive his spirit. So, you know, Stephen went on absent from the body, present with the Lord, because Stephen was not the physical body that was laying there in the streets, but he was that being that went to be with his heavenly Father. John 6 and 63, I think we covered this verse last week, but it's a good one, at least a springboard off of tonight. Um, Jesus speaking, he says, It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So it's the Spirit who gives life. And so there's lots of ways to look at that, but the most simple basic way is when the Spirit separates from the physical body. The physical body is no longer alive because the Spirit is what animates. Or um, we use the example of like if you wear a jacket and the arm of that jacket moves as long as your arm is in it, but you take your arm out of it, the jacket becomes an inanimate object. It's no longer animated. And so it's the spirit inside of you who gives life. But the, uh, the double meaning here is that it's God's spirit who gives us God's life. And when we get to the part about spirit, soul, and body, we'll see that like so many things in Scripture, there are two different words in the original language that's translated into our singular word life. Like love, for instance, there's four different words with four different meanings that translate into the word love. And with life, it's biological life, which is referred to as bios in the Greek. But then there's the, the, the life and nature of God, which is zoe. So when Jesus said to a group of people, I've come to give you life and to give it to you in overflowing abundance, he didn't say that he had come to give them bios. They, are, they were already biologically alive, or we could say physically alive. He came to give them the life and nature of God in overflowing abundance. So like all the verses, this was, ladies, you were asking about the question this morning, some of the things that we covered in class this morning, that you know, when you're born again, Father gives you um, His life and nature without end. That's eternal life or everlasting life. And then He also gives it to us in overflowing abundance, John 3.16 and John 10.10. 10. So it's the Spirit who gives life. When, when we're born again, our newly uh, born again self, spirit, becomes one with God's spirit. And that's the union, if you will, that allows the life of God to flow from him into our uh, very being. So when Jesus says, those who believe on me will never die, he wasn't talking about your, your, your body. He was talking about your born again spirit will never die. Now, one of the key takeaways, and I started some years ago doing this um, now uh, for a couple of reasons. One is I'm, I'm wanting to give you a glimpse into why this matters. Uh, 
and why understanding this is important. Um, and then the other thing is, and for those of you who are already preaching and teaching and ministering to folks in, in small ways and big ways, when we, when we introduce something to somebody from the Word of God, remember Jesus said that the Word of God's like seed, and so we plant that, and then we come back and we water it. Okay, so tonight, you know, I'll either plant some things in your life or I'll water some things in your life. What's the difference? I'm planting things that you've never heard or never understood before, uh, and then I'm watering things that you have heard that you have understood before. So I like to go ahead and get this concept of truth planted so that as we progress through these things and then circle back around to it in greater detail, that we'll be able to water it and, and really begin to, to take root, so to speak, in your life and ultimately produce fruit in your life. That's what we're after, right? Amen? For there to be that measurable, tangible, verifiable difference um, that only the Word of God and His truth and Spirit can make in our lives. So we have this um, simple drawing here, a spirit, soul, and body. Remember, you're not a physical being trying to have a spiritual experience. You are a spirit being experiencing a physical or natural reality and the sooner we can get our minds renewed to that and I'm not listen you may have picked it up already and it's like okay move on Pastor Mark I got that already but I'll just speak for me personally and, and you know we're not all identical we haven't all had identical experiences but but this particular aspect is something I have to constantly remind myself of to constantly uh, renew my mind to and and I don't, I don't want to get political tonight but you know I've had different folks um, our, our pastor in um, um, Nairobi, we were texting back and forth about the Ukraine situation. And I mentioned this on Sunday morning here at Heritage. You know, one of the things that, that's often overlooked in these things is, you know, we talk about the economic impact. We talk about the, you know, how it's going to affect energy and gas prices and all these other things. But the part that people rarely ever think about is the spiritual impact uh, in the sense that this, you know, anytime the devil disrupts things and manipulates people to do it, it's, he's ultimately trying to hinder the, the cause of the gospel and, and the kingdom of God growing and advancing and developing. And, you know, demonic spirits uh, that we see throughout history and the scriptures, remember, those demonic spirits are still um, functioning and operative. And we've already looked at in here how, you know, there's, there's rank and file and there's um, ones that, you know, are like referred to as princes that you know, over geographical areas. And so you remember, you know, Saddam Hussein, he wanted the same spirit that influenced Nebuchadnezzar um, was influencing him uh, to try to rebuild the Babylonian Empire. And I believe the same demonic spirits that started with, with Lenin and, and uh, you know, all, all you know, the, the reign of terror that was the USSR, um, I believe those same demonic spirits are influencing Vladimir Putin to try and resurrect um, that uh, evil empire that was um, the Soviet Socialist Republic. So, <clears throat> again, it's very easy to leave the spiritual aspect out of this, but you know, another tie-in that we'll get to later down the road is that, is that our battle is not with flesh and blood. Um, we wrestle not, the Bible says, against flesh and blood. We do wrestle, we do fight, but it's, it's not a physical flesh-first type of fight. Our authority is in the realm of the spirit, and and that's where you know we can do the most good in in prayer, binding and loosing things of that nature. Again, I know some of you weren't here for those classes, but we've covered 
a lot of that um, already. So you are a spirit experiencing a physical or natural reality. But if you begin to understand yourself in three dimensions, and, and again, the three dimensions that are you, spirit, soul, and body, the devil is not only wanting you to only think of yourself as a physical being, um, what he's ultimately wanting us to do is trick us into, deceive us into only thinking of ourselves in one dimension, um, one-dimensional thinking. Um, Nicodemus is the classic example of this when Jesus said you must be born again he said how can a man be born again when he's you know old can he go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time Jesus said I keep putting it back up on the screen <laughs> the television screen I mean uh, broadcast screen that which is born of the spirit is spirit but that which is born of the flesh is flesh so Jesus was talking about something completely different from a physical birth he was talking about a spiritual rebirth uh, but notice, because Nicodemus only thought one-dimensionally instead of three-dimensionally, he had no idea what Jesus was talking about. He had no way to process it. And if you can't process it, you can't benefit from it. You see what I'm saying? If it doesn't make sense to you, if, if, if you have no um, basis to, um, you know, for that to rest on or land upon in your heart, it'll, you know, you'll be like Nicodemus, you know. Um, you know, what are you talking about, Jesus? How can these things be? Um, but if you begin to understand these things, one, one of the statements that, that I make early and often, um, and you guys probably heard me say it so many times, and I, Lord's laid it on my heart to begin uh, in my part in the training tomorrow, is you know to just remind uh, all the folks present is that you know the, so many of the people we serve they're trying to solve an advanced life an advanced life problem without basic life understanding. And addiction, for example, is an advanced um, life problem. Marriage is an advanced life condition. A lot of people fail at marriage um, because they try to move into an advanced life condition without basic life understanding. And spirit, soul, and body, understanding the three dimensions of our existence and, and creation, to me, is some of the most important basic life understanding that we can ever um, under, you know, lay hold of and embrace um, in our lives. Now... Let me make another run at this because <clears throat> we ran out of time and, and it's, it's really I shouldn't have even tried to bite it off last week. It was more than we could chew. But the point is this, okay, two opposing realities occurring in one person at the same time. See, if, if you only think of yourself as a one-dimensional being, then there's no way there can be two realities taking place in you simultaneously, okay? Um, but if you understand that you are a three-dimensional being, that one part of you can be headed in one direction while another part of you is actually headed in a completely different or opposite direction. So that's what we mean by two opposing realities occurring in one person at the same time. Now, if this sounds like some kind of far-fetched mumbo-jumbo, remember how you must be born again must have sounded to Nicodemus. Okay, <laughs> that sounded so... Literally, he threw up his hand and said, how can these things be, right? Um, and here is, there's many verses, and I'll give you a, a couple of them tonight. Um, but here is one of the main verses uh, for um, this point. It's first, it, not first, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Um, Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says, Therefore we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. He's talking about, well, you understand what it means to, be lose, to lose hearts when you become frustrated, you, you, you feel like it's hopeless or so forth and so on. Um, discouraged, you know, these kinds of things. He says, even though our outward man is perishing, 
uh, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So here we see the three dimensions of man divided into you know, two, uh, you know, two headings, the outward part being our flesh or our physical body, uh, the inward man being the spirit and the soul. So he says that while the outward man is perishing, um, getting older, you know, these kinds of things. I mean, the Bible talks about our youth being renewed like the eagles and, and so forth. But, you know, reality is, you know, this body in its current condition will not, um, will not live forever. Uh, but the spirit, the born-again spirit inside of us will. Now, uh, brother asked a great question after class last week. And, and if we'd still been all in here, I would have uh, shouted it out because it's a good point that I should have made. Um, if your spirit is eternal, so your spirit's either going to live forever or it's going to die forever somewhere. Remember, death means separation. So it's either going to live forever uh, united together with God in one spirit with Him, or it's going to die forever separated uh, from uh, God the Father in, in course of devil's hell. That's not pleasant to talk about, but, but that is you know, the reality of it. That's what the Scriptures um, clearly teach us. So the uh, outward man is perishing. We should take care of the outward man. It's a, it's a precious you know, treasure. We can't exist on planet earth without our outward man. But you know, as our bodies get older, the regeneration of our, of our cells starts to slow down. Now, I don't, you know, I entertain questions. I'm not, but the scriptures talk about 120 years. Most people look at the, the 80 years. And, you know, so if you, if you want to just haul off and believe God for 120 years, you've got Bible to stand on. Um, but, again, that's, that's pretty much, as biblically speaking, that's going to be the maximum now um, for a physical body to exist in the, in the earth's atmosphere, okay? Um, but the good news is the real you, remember, you are a spirit, you, you have a soul, you live in a body. The real you is not in a, in a state of getting older and slower and in decline, but the real you is being what? Renewed day by day. Renewed day by day. So think about what this means. The outward man is perishing at the same time the inward man is being renewed. So we see... We see one thing occurring in the outward man, one dimension of our existence, but then we see something completely different, something completely opposite is true about the inward part of us. Now, is, is, this, uh, is this class about um, longevity and things of that nature? Not necessarily, okay? But if you can understand that concept, do you have that concept right there? The outward part, one thing's happening there. Inward part, something completely different is happening there, okay? The reason that is so important, turn with me now to Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 1. Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 1. Thank you, Jesus. So, um, I'm just going to put verse 1 on the screen, but if we were to back up into um, verse uh, chapter 3, we could go all the way to Galatians 1, 1, but... At least this main thought begins in verse number 26. For instance, um, you don't ever begin a sentence with now, right? <laughs> in other words, now I say, in other words, now means 
after I said all this, now I'm saying that. And what he said before all of this is basically the culmination of what we see beginning in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. And that is that we are children of God, that we've been born of God, that Jesus became a curse for us so the blessing of Abraham could, could rest upon our lives. And that now as those who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. He's talking about this new identity that we have in Christ. And I know we're a mixed company and I'm tr trying to be graphic here, but if you had you know, female body parts before you were born again, you had female body parts after and same with, with the men. He's not talking about your flesh. Your body has not been born again. It's your spirit that's been born again. Your, your soul is in, it should be, amen, if we, if we will work together with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, is, is, is in, a, in a state of being reconditioned so that we think more like the people we are and the people we became uh, through the new birth experience. And then, of course, we know that our, um, our physical bodies will become a glorified body uh, in uh, the rapture or the resurrection. So he goes on then to make this overwhelming, undeniable biblical case quoting from the Old Testament, that was the Bible they preached and taught from, that we're children of God. Come on, that's something to get excited about, right? So he then, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, anticipates the question that people are, are you know, bound to ask. If, if all this is true about me, then why am I living you know, at, at a lower level of existence? If, if, if I'm a child of God, if I've been blessed, if I'm this, if I'm that, I should be living up here, but instead I'm living down here. And so that's why he begins chapter 4, verse 1. Remember, this wasn't written in chapter and verse. This was you know, written as one linear thought. So he begins by saying, now I say, in light of what I've just explained to you from the Holy Spirit, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. Now that almost sounds like a riddle, doesn't it? See, you'll never understand this with one-dimensional thinking. One-dimensional thinking will just leave you scratching your head trying to read this passage. So what's the case that he made? That we're heirs of God, that we're joint heirs with Jesus, that we've been born of His Spirit. And because we've been born of His Spirit, the true seed of Abraham is Jesus, and we've been born of His seed, which makes us, even if, you have, even if you're not Jewish by physical uh, descent, uh, you've been grafted into the family. And now the blessing that God promised to Abraham and his descendants has come upon you and me. And you know, he's talking about all these wonderful things that are now true about us, which, again, left them and I'm sure a lot of us scratching our heads. It's like, okay, if all that's true, then why is my life not different? Why is my life not better? Why am I not enjoying and experiencing um, that level of life and living? Okay? And so he explains it right here again. He says, now I say that the heir... So who's the heir? If you're born again, you're the heir. He says the heir, as long as he is a child, now we'll come back to that word child because it's an important word, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is, not will be, not if he plays his cards right, but he is master of all. Okay. Now, let me try to make this clear. Okay, He's saying that this is someone who is a ruler, Lord of all, I think is King James Version. Um, this is someone who is a ruler that's not living the life of a ruler, 
but it's a ruler living like a slave. A ruler living like a slave. Not a slave living like a slave, but someone who is actually a ruler living like a slave. Now, let's, um, let's put it back up. Okay. <laughs> so do you see then spirit, soul, and body? The physical existence and reality is no different from a slave, even though um, the, this person has been born of God's Spirit, has been blessed with the blessing of Abraham, is an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus, entitled to everything from God the Father that Jesus is entitled to in this life and the life that is to come. But you know they're still struggling to pay the light bill. They're still struggling to uh, pay their tithes. They're still you know struggling, living more like a slave instead of the heir and the ruler that they actually are. Okay, does any of this sound familiar to anybody's experience? Okay, and so this this is again what what I'm trying to help you understand when we say two realities taking place at the same time. Because the world will tell you, the devil will tell you, that if you're living like a slave, you're a slave. If you're, if you're behaving like um, you know, a slave, then that means you are a slave. Um, but remember, you're not a human doing, you're a human being. One of the great lies the devil tells us, and again, this goes back to not understanding uh, the three-dimensional uh, you know, way that God created you, is that we let... We let what's going on in our life reality determine what we believe is true about us. And as long as we live our lives that way, I call it a self-image feedback loop, okay? It's when we're letting the very thing that, um, <laughs> that comes from our self-image, our self-image produces our behavior and our feelings, and then we let our behavior and feelings dictate what we think is true about ourselves. So it, cr it creates this feedback loop where, you know, if, if this is how I'm behaving and feeling, then this is who I am, which how you behave and feel is a mirror of what you believe to be true about who you are. And it just creates this vicious, vicious cycle. So how do we break that cycle? We break that cycle by believing what God says is true about who you are. That even if you still struggle with some areas of your flesh, and even if it still maybe feels like, or even in some instances you still behave like someone who is a slave to their flesh, that's not who you are, right? But as long as you see yourself as, as a slave to sin, you're going to live like a slave to sin even though you're not a slave. So we're talking then about rulers living like slaves. Now let me give you, um, let me give you a, well, I, I tell you what, I need to go back to this. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So the word child, and I know a lot of you love to take notes, and that touches my heart because I think we you know, need to process these things and remember these things. But we'll, we'll circle back around to this in the days ahead. But real quick, like, let me tell you the biblical definition of one who is a child. One who is a child is one who is ignorant. That means you don't know. One who is immature. That means you're not developed. And one who cannot speak on his or her own behalf. So ignorant, immature, cannot speak on your own behalf. This is a child, okay? Now, the good news is um, there's a cure for ignorance, the good news is there's a cure for immaturity. The good news is there's a cure for not being able to speak on your own behalf. Okay, uh, And I believe that you know, these things, again, tie back into, uh, and we mentioned this in the, in the earlier parts of um, the, these classes, we, we really kind of gave an overview of what discipleship really is. But you know, this is you know, one of the great benefits of discipleship 
is growing up into Jesus in all things, as the Holy Spirit said through Paul in Ephesians, where we are learning to live a life that reflects our, tr our true self, who God really made us to be. Um, in Galatians 4.19, for example, um, Paul talks about um, how he's travailing in birth again until Christ be formed in them. He's not talking about them getting born again. He's talking about discipleship. And the literal translation of that is for the inward reality of the new birth to become an outward expression of life. One more time, the inward reality of the new birth to become an outward expression of life. The, the ruler that you are in Christ Jesus becoming an outward expression of the way that um, you live your life. So see, the devil always wants you, he wants you to see yourself one way trying to live another way. Um, let, let me, I got to hope a lot. Here's one, and I know that... Um, you guys have put addiction in the rearview mirror a long time ago. But see, the devil wants you to see yourself as an addict trying to live um, as someone sober or as someone who's not an addict, right? So that's, that's the trick that he plays on us. He wants us to see ourselves as, um, as, as fearful trying to uh, live in, in, in rest and peace and confidence. See, that, how, however you see yourself, it's going to be reflected uh, Proverbs, let's see, what is it, 27, 19, I believe. Um, do what now? So not that one. That's part of it. But the Bible says that as, you know, water reflects face, so the heart uh, of man reflects the man. And so was what, how we see ourselves, our self-image, is going, you know, our life realities are always going to be a reflection of that. And so like the devil wants you to see yourself as someone who's poor trying to get rich. But see, that's, we don't understand three-dimensional living that way. This is why the Bible says, let the poor man say what? I'm rich in him. Do you, do you see how this works? Um, because we are rich in him according to the word of God, according to who we became the day we became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Okay? So ignorant, immature, unable to speak on one's own behalf. Realize now, um, you know, we receive by faith what grace has already given to us. Faith receives what grace has already given. Faith receives what grace has already given. So when it comes to speaking to mountains, when it comes to you know, prayer, all these things that you know, we think on the surface, what's the big deal about speaking on your own behalf? Again, um, Father said through, through Jesus, whatever you bind on earth, he'll bind in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, he'll loose in heaven. Notice there's initiative there on our part to take the initiative to bind something and then he'll back it up. He, he didn't say, look, guys, I'm going to bind some stuff. Why don't y'all get in agreement with me? No, he says, you bind it in your world. And because it's already bound in my world, I'll back you up and it'll be bound in your world. But binding and loosing requires, guess what? Opening up your mouth and speaking to some things. Jesus spoke to fevers. Jesus spoke to trees. Jesus spoke to devils. Jesus spoke to weather. Jesus spoke to, <laughs> I mean, all, all of these things, right? And they obeyed him because he knew that they had to obey him. Right? You follow what I'm saying? So this is such a critical part of our growth and development is this ability to speak our own behalf. But remember now, if we're immature, it's going to be hard for us to do that. And if we're ignorant, it's going to leave us in an immature state. So we overcome the not knowing, and that enables us to mature and develop, which enables us to speak on our own behalf, or ultimately on God's behalf. Okay, now, yes. Unable to speak on their own behalf. Use the word cannot. Or unable. Right. You don't mean that we don't, 
We don't possess the power to. You mean that we're lacking in faith? Or maturity or development. And, you know, again, if I keep talking about it, there's going to be no need for me to talk about it later, but I will. No, no, don't apologize. Don't apologize. Because you're, you're actually, I keep going, should I share that or not? Should I share that or not? So here's the classic example, okay? Um, my, uh, my son getting married in June, right? Okay. But when he, was a, when he was a little kid, you know, I'll never forget, this is kind of one that I always think about when I mention unable to speak on your own behalf. The, the waitress leans over and says, what would you like today, young man? And he turned red and buried his face in his mother's side, right? Now he'll order the, you know, the herb-crusted salmon, the filet mignon, whatever, you know, he'd speak up, right? But in, but in those days, because, again, awkward and he had never had anybody ask him that, you know, instead of speaking on his own behalf, you know, he buried his, his face in his mother's side, and she says he'll have the cheeseburger, whatever it was, you know. So that, to me, is, is the classic example of unable to speak on your own behalf, um, being able to speak up and... and you know, when the devil starts, you know, trying to pull stuff, you know, we call him on it, we bind him, we cast him out, we, we loose, you know, the things of God, healing, all of this, right? Um, such a critical part. But see, again, if, if you don't know that healing is part of your birthright, <laughs> you see, then, you know, it's going to be very hard for you to boldly, confidently lay your hands on sick people, you know, all these other things. But so as you, as you learn, again... It's not just ignorance, immature, immaturity, and unable to speak on your own behalf. It's those things have to go. I believe, and I'm convinced in that order. In other words, the more the more we know about the things of God, then the more we have the ability to step out. The more we step out, because you grow by reason of use, right? By putting it into practice. And the more we put these things into practice, the more we grow and develop. The more we grow and develop, the 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 more um, you know we're able to speak boldly and confidently uh, in faith and not be moved if if it doesn't happen the instant we say something. Um, but knowing that whatever it is that we have believed, we will um, receive. So anyway, yes? So yeah, the inward reality of the birth of the new, I'm sorry, the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. So it's just a poetic way of saying what's true about you inwardly becoming obvious outwardly. And, and this, is, this, to me, is one of the, the, the greatest uh, ways to, to understand what discipleship is, is about and what it's for. Um, you know, you, you have the creator of the universe living inside of you. You can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. Uh, you speak with new tongues, cast out devils, lay your hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. Jesus said, John 14, 12, the works that he did, you'll do also and even greater works because he goes to my Father. Because he went to his Father. And so we, you know, we, if we're not careful, we look at ourselves like, man, he, who he's talking about? He ain't talking about me. You know, so, so again, you know, the more we understand and we begin to see ourselves um, as he sees us and begin to, you know, where that, the, the mind, emotions, and will are becoming more aligned with our identity in Christ, Instead of our old identity uh, imprinted on our on our fleshly uh, existence, then this is where we really start making some tremendous progress in the things of God. Yes, sir. What I have, what I have some um, problems like understanding is like implications of this on like our our prayers and, and how we pray, particularly like prayers of petition. You know, what I'm saying you're praying for somebody, mm-hmm. um, and maybe maybe they they got some kind of they're under some spiritual bondage or something, and you you, you pray for the person. And, Like, is it, is, it, is it weak faith on my part to continuously come into God asking Him 
to, um, I don't know, do something or, or, or I pray this person, you know what I'm saying, uh, sees this in a different <coughs> way as opposed to, like, should I just be saying, I, you know, maybe so, be delivered, you know what I'm saying? And yeah, so, so, so it, you know, it, it's, there's different kinds of prayer. Um, and so you, you, don't, you don't pray them all the same way. They don't all work the same way. But, no, no, but I'll just I'll say this, then we'll move on. But in Ephesians 1, the prayer that um, I pray often um, over you, over myself, over my family, over my family of faith, Foundry, our ministry partners around the world, is a prayer that Paul said he never ceased to pray. Um, that, that the God of our Father, that, that, that the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, God our Father, would give to you and to me a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. It starts there in Ephesians 1, um, verse what, 16, 17, depending on where you, you jump in at it. And, it. and it goes you know all the way through. And so this was obviously something that Paul prayed and interceded for on behalf of the church on a regular basis because he said, I cease not to pray this. So there are certain things that, that we do pray and, and speak and confess on a regular basis. But then there are other things that, you know, like here's an example. Um, Pastor Mark, believe with me for a good report from the doctor on Tuesday. Right. Okay. Well, on the surface, that sounds pretty good, you know. Um, but that's not how faith works. Faith believes what God has said about the situation no matter what the doctor says on Thursday. You, you follow what I'm saying? And if, if we're going to wait to believe we're healed until we hear what the doctor has to say, <laughs> that's, you know, faith believes that it receives before um, there's any evidence uh, that anything's changed. Um, and so there are things then that you just have to nail it down. Yeah, I'll look at the other Yeah, okay, all right. So, um, praise God. Let's, so let me give you one more, and this is, a, this is a key verse to our study, 2 Corinthians 5. But remember now, we're talking about, um, wait, I'm sorry. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Man, I'm getting ahead of myself now. Let's go Hebrews 10, 14. Did I say that already? Okay, Hebrews 10, 14. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. So, again, three-dimensional understanding, two opposing realities taking place in the same person at the same time. Hebrews 10 and 14 says this about the sacrifice Jesus made for us. By one offering, He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. For by one offering, He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, are being sanctified is speaking of an ongoing work. Has perfected forever is talking about a past completed work. So, this is another one of those verses. If you only think in one dimension, you're going, to, you're going to be scratching your head like Nicodemus. But I think it's pretty obvious the part of us that has been perfected forever through the new birth, that's our born-again spirit. By one offering, He has perfected, completed you forever, all right, who are being sanctified. So literally what He's saying in this verse is that you're a perfect work in progress. See, again, it's like, wait a second, I... I'm either a work in progress or I'm perfect. It's either complete or it's not. It can't be both at the same time. Well, little did Jane know that she was a three-dimensional being, right? So there's a part of you that has been perfected forever. That's your born-again spirit. 
and then there's a part of you that is a work in progress. That would be your soul, okay? And then there's a part of you that will be perfected at a later date. That's your physical body. And that's when your salvation will be complete. So I know, do you see why it, I'm, I'm wanting to, this is more than just, okay, this is what you are, all right? And so just write it down, take a note, and let's move on. No, I, I'm, I'm wanting to understand why understanding what you are is so critically important and why your enemy always wants you to think of yourselves one-dimensionally, and not only one-dimensionally, but as a fleshly being. Uh, because if you're only a fleshly being, then let's just go live for the flesh. If that's all there is, you know, what they say, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, live it up, take a dirt nap, and it's over. But see, there's something in us that knows that that's, that's not the case. There's something in us that knows that there's more to life than meets the eye. Yes, sir? Even though we go on and our spirit lives forever, or we're taken up in the rapture and we're living forever, the sanctification and the learning doesn't stop then, does it? You've got the rest of your life to even gather more of it, wouldn't you? Rest of eternity, yes, sir. Yes, sir. We, I mean, there's, there are things, I mean, the Bible's very clear about it. There are things that Father knows that we'll know one day that nobody knows yet. I mean, he told, he showed the Apostle Paul things that he, he said, can't speak them on the earth. You know, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so y'all are really trying to draw me down a rabbit hole now. You don't have to believe this to go to heaven, but I don't think God created the universe with all the solar systems and all the planets around all those uh, stars slash suns out there for nothing. Um, you know, eternity is a long time. Um, we're going to be somewhere doing something 10 million years from now, and I think it's going to have to do with occupying and populating because um, the Bible says there's coming a day when the glory of God will cover this earth and the knowledge of our Father will cover this earth like water covers the sea. Well, that's a thorough covering, okay? But I believe once this planet completely and totally 100% reflects Father's goodness and glory, that we're going to move on to the next planet, and then when, when this solar system's filled up, the, yeah. Now, you don't have to believe that, but I, I, I do believe that. Um, because we see even that when Jesus talked about using what God gave you to the glory of God and for the building and furtherance of His kingdom, that when the rewards were given out, that there were some who were rewarded with like cities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? You're like, okay, man, you did a great job, sis. I tell you what, there's five cities over in the region to the north that you're responsible for now. Would you go, you know, and so, yeah, you know, so, so it's, just a, it's just a beautiful thing, right? So again, God is... He's a great God, right? Yeah, he's, he's ginormous, right? So anyway, praise God. All right, so one last verse on this, then we're going to move on to number three. Um, and this is a verse that's central to our, our study together as well. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Okay, so we could, we could teach for the next 30, 40 minutes on this one and not even check up. It's just a lot that's being said here. I'm going to try my best not to do this. But to bring it, um, you know, back in, because we've covered this verse extensively in the, in the past, to bring it back in now to what we're saying. Um, when these men first met Jesus, they just, they met a carpenter from, from Nazareth, right? Um, but they quickly realized that uh, he could do more than build a chair, you know. Um, that there was, as I like to say it this way, there was a lot more to him than met the eye. Um, there was a lot more going on inside of him than, um, you know, that 
you could initially tell by your first glance at him. Um, and he noticed though that he's saying that in the same the same is true with us now as born again believers, that that um, you know you may look at somebody and and make a judgment call about them based upon something you hear them say or something you saw them do, and now all of a sudden you you've decided they're not even saved, and and you don't even realize right because again the the outward man uh, can't tell uh, the whole story, so um, guard no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. So agape love for people is based upon how you value a person. And this, you know, the world system and, and the devil and what have you, you know, his, his, his uh, you know, control of this planet, he wants us to place a value on people based upon um, what they can do, what they have, how good they are, or how bad they are, right? And, and that's, see, again, that's not how Father looks at things. Um, he doesn't see us as we are. He sees us as He created us to be. Uh, he sees us in light of, of the potential that every one of us was given by God to be just like Jesus to Him. So, you know, we often place, you know, make value judgments on people you know, the world will even do it. And I mean, you know, the world system, you know, you get paid on what you can do and what you know and so forth and so on. But God's kingdom works completely different from that one. All right. Now, let's go back to um, our question, what is man? Um, and we've, of course, said that man is a God class being, number one. Number two, we said man is a spirit being, and these are men with wombs and without wombs, men and women, okay, humankind. And so then number three is that man is the legal authority on earth. This is really important. What is man? Man is the legal authority on earth, all right? Man, one more time, is the legal authority on earth. Now, this almost sounds like we've shifted into a whole other subject, but really and truly, we, we have not. Um, we see that when God uh, created uh, man uh, in his image and in his likeness, um, the first thing he said is, let them rule or let them have dominion. Um, dominion is when you have authority or rule over an assigned domain. And so God created um, you know, this earth, the Garden of Eden. He put Adam in it, and he gave him authority over the earth. Now, as we progress through this, we may comment on this more and more, but the thing you have to understand, and this is where a lot, a lot of people are confused, and it ties back into what is man. Man is legal authority on earth, but we know that Adam bowed his knee to Satan, and he abdicated, if you will. He, he turned the keys, the authority of this planet over to uh, the devil himself. We know this throughout the Word of God, but perhaps where we see it most clearly is when Satan tempted Jesus and he showed him the kingdoms of this world and the glory of those kingdoms, and he said, if you bow to me, I'll give them to you. And there are some who say, well, the devil was lying. You know, anytime he opens his mouth, he's lying. Um, but that's not the case. The Bible clearly identifies him as the prince of the power of the air, as the God of this world, as the ruler of this world. These are statements that came from the mouth of Jesus. So when Satan showed him that, what he, I think, knew or at least suspected, the devil at least knew or suspected, was that Jesus was here to get that authority 
back um, that he uh, got from Adam. And he was offering Jesus a shortcut. Um, and of course, we know that Jesus did not take the bait. If, Jesus, if, the, if the devil was lying, this would have been no temptation for Jesus, and Jesus would have known he was lying. Um, uh, and Jesus would have been participating in some kind of you know, fakery or whatever here. Um, so when we say man is the legal authority on earth, we have to understand that God is the one who declared for you and for me to have dominion here for you and me to have dominion here. So the verse, of course, is Genesis 1 and 26. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. We've looked at this verse many, many times. Let them have dominion. Fish of the sea, birds of the air, cattle, earth, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In other places in Scripture, we've looked at them in the past. I'm not going to go back to those verses now. where it, It's expanded to everything, that all the works of God's hands. In other words, if God created it, then he gave mankind dominion, authority over it. Okay, that's the earth and everything that is in it. Okay, now let's go to, um, <clears throat> let's go to Psalm 115 and 16. I'll put that one on the screen as well. Am I going too fast? We're kind of picking up the pace a little bit tonight. Okay, so Psalm 115 and 16. I want to kind of lay some foundation and then... Um, We'll make some explanation and draw some uh, truths out of this. So Psalm 115 and 16 says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. So heavens, plural, we've talked about that. But the earth He has given to the children of men. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth He has given to the children of men. So Father rules in His domain, but He has assigned the earth domain to you and to me to rule over it here, okay? Now, it's going to take me a minute to explain this, but just stay with me. Because it seems like other verses would contradict this because we see in other places where the Lord says that the earth is His because He created it. And so it's like, well, Pastor Mark, how, how can it be both? You know, I mean, it's, it's either... It either, it either belongs to God or it, it belongs uh, to us. So remember now, it's one thing to be a steward over something. It's one thing for an owner to give you authority and dominion over something uh, and for it actually to belong to you. Okay, And there's something that we either have participated in or understand in our world that I think will help us see this in, in, a, in a bigger scale and it's what I call a lease agreement, a lease agreement. Have you ever rented an apartment? Have you ever rented a house? And when that's done, at least when it's done legally, there's, there's an agreement and a, and a lease that is, um, is signed. Now, um, we're not going to go into this whole parable, but in Luke chapter 20 and verse number 9, Jesus speaking, then he began to tell the people this parable, a certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to vine dressers, and went into a far country for a long time. So he, again, planted the vineyard, leased it to vine dressers, and went into a far country for a long time. Now, as Jesus continues to tell this parable, he talks about when it was time for the owner of the vineyard to receive some benefit, uh, some fruit from the vineyard, that he sent men to receive that fruit, and they were treated harshly and beaten um, and this happened 
several times. And finally, the man said, I'll send my only son. Da-da, you know, here's the tie-in, right? Um, and surely they'll respect him. Um, but instead of respecting him, they said, if we kill him, he's the heir. Um, and this uh, vineyard then will belong to us. So clearly what Jesus is doing here is more than, you know, some situation that happened, you know, a few miles to the east of him, you know, with the vineyard. He's talking about basically the history of this earth um, with the different messengers and ones that were sent representing the prophets that God's people obviously mistreated, abused, even executed, murdered. Um, and then finally him sending his only son uh, and, and them killing uh, him, thinking that that would mean the vineyard would be theirs uh, forever. So notice that he planted the vineyard, he leased it to the vine dressers. So I believe that what he's talking about here is that God created the earth and then he leased it to, to us. He leased it. We're the vine dressers, if you will, um, in this story. The inhabitants of the earth are the ones that the earth has been leased to. Now, let's go to Psalm 24, 1 through 10. Psalm 24, 1 through 10. Um, let, let me, I'm going to make this point a couple of different ways, but let me just go ahead uh, and, and introduce you to the, to the bigger picture of what I'm trying to, what I think, well, let me rephrase that, what I believe the Holy Spirit's trying to get us to see tonight, what He's wanting to help us see, okay? Um, the Lord has, uh, has blessed me um, with uh, some rental properties um, and has blessed our family of faith here at Heritage with some commercial rental properties. And here's the unique, the unique thing as a landlord, okay? Once you sign a lease agreement with a tenant, in order for me to go into that property after that agreement is signed, I have to get permission. Even though I own the property, in order for me to enter that property, even if I'm entering that property to fix something, let's say there's a, an issue with a light switch or there's um, you know, a, a toilet that's not flushing or what have you, okay? So I own the house, but because it's been leased to, um, to someone, even though it belongs to me, they have dominion over it according to that lease agreement. So for me to enter into their domain, even to fix a problem on their behalf, I have to have permission to do that. Are you seeing this? Yes? Are you seeing this? Okay, it's very, very important. We talk about mankind being legal authority. You see, I'm the owner of that property, but the lease agreement gives the tenants legal authority over that property. They can't go sell it, obviously. Um, but I can't just bust in there anytime that I want to. I have to get permission from them to enter. All right? Now, keep that in mind as we look at Psalm 24. I'm going to read this to you, first of all, out of the New King James Version, and then I think we'll look at it in the Passion Version. Okay? It's 10 verses, so just follow along on the screen or in your own Bibles. Okay? The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world... And those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? 
He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Selah. And Selah means to pause and think about it. Verse number 7, lift up your heads, O ye gates. And this is where it really gets interesting, okay? Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. I am in, um, did I say Proverbs? Did I say Proverbs? I said Psalms. Okay. All right. When you said that, I thought, man, did I say the wrong one? Okay. Um, so obviously probably the most popular psalm is 23. It's an awesome psalm, Psalm 23, 23rd Psalm. Um, but obviously right next door to it is another, I mean, they're all important. I'm not trying to say one's more important than the other, okay? So he's saying, think about this now. In the Passion Translation, is, we're going to go to 7 through 10, the Passion. I'll put it on the screen for you in just a second. He's saying to the gates, lift up your heads, O ye gates, okay? Be lifted up, you everlasting doors. He's talking about gates with heads on them, right? So clearly he's not talking about a physical like gate that swings on, on a physical hinge, okay? I see some of you pointing to yourselves. That's right. He's talking about us, okay? Be lifted up. Now, let's see if the Passion Translation um, helps you uh, with this, all right? So um, Passion Translation, this time I'm going to begin at verse number 7, all right? It says, so wake up. You living gateways, lift up your heads, you ageless doors of destiny. Come on now, I like that right there. Lift up your heads, you ageless doors of destiny. Welcome the King of glory, for He is about to come through you. I get excited about this right here now. All right, verse 8. You ask, who is this glory King? The Lord, armed and ready for battle, the mighty one, invincible in every way. So wake up, you living gateways, and rejoice. Fling wide, you ageless doors of destiny. Here he comes. The king of glory is ready to come in. You ask, who is this king of glory? He is... Some reason it's not changing like it needs to. All right. You ask, who is this King of Glory? He is the Lord of Victory, armed and ready for battle, the Mighty One, the Invincible Commander of Heaven's hosts. Yes, He is the King of Glory. Man, it does something to me too. I'm telling you, it does something for me too. All right. That's the Passion Translation. So that is, I don't know if they're going to do a new, an Old Testament or not, but it's, they have New Testament and then um, Psalms and Proverbs in the Passion Translation. All right. So he is calling you, um, and I like this one too, lift up your heads, you ageless doors of destiny. Welcome the King of glory, for he's about to come through you. Okay. So 
our connection and, and um, union, I even like that word better, uh, to him becomes the gateway and the doorway by which Father has uh, entrance into the affairs of mankind. When you look now, stay with me because some folks start getting nervous. Remember we said these what is man answers. The devil fights these tooth and nail, man. He does not want you to understand this. He would rather you think that you're just a nobody dust in the wind at the mercy of anything that comes along and you can't say nothing. Remember, trivialize you. You're a nobody. You're this. You're that. He's a liar. Okay. All right. So our connection to Father becomes the gateway, the doorway by which he enters the affairs of man. When you, when you look at all that God has done, and, and I know, you know some of you are more familiar with all what the Bible says than others, but you know, as you, especially it's, it's so clear in the New Testament, but even when you go back to the Old Testament and, and you, you read through the Old Testament, you'll see that there is a common uh, uh, denominator, there's a common factor uh, in all that Father God has done in the earth. And that common factor is he's always looking for a man or a woman who would cooperate with him. He's always looking for um, an ageless door of destiny. He's always looking for someone. You know, God's got a plan. He's wanting to do something big. He's wanting to do something in the earth. And the Bible says he's looking to and fro to try to find somebody that will let him come through them, so to speak, work together with him for his... How about this one? Jesus said when you pray, pray for the kingdom to come and for the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Again, notice Father's looking for somebody who will cooperate. I'm going to get way ahead of myself and we'll come back and fill in the blanks. Okay, it's one of my favorite quotes. And I got lots of favorite quotes from Dr. Miles Monroe. But Dr. Miles Monroe defines prayer this way. He says, prayer is earthly permission for divine interference. Earthly permission for divine interference. Let's go back to the lease agreement now, right? So, um, you know, we, we've got... a. a, a Anyway, one of our buildings, I got a call today. One of the buildings over here had a little storm damage. They didn't know about it. They got a little wet spot in the ceiling, okay? So notice now, they're calling me. They're calling me. I, I'm not the landlord. The church owns those buildings. But they're calling me. I'm the, I'm, I, they touch base either with me or Pastor Marcos. And, uh, you know, super nice. Hey, you know, got an issue. Texted me. Sent me a picture, right? Now, notice what they're saying. They're saying, we got a problem. We need some help, okay? Now, I was so busy today, and obviously it's sunshine, and you know nothing like got to put down what we're doing to fly over there. But when I go, if let's say that it's after hours and they're not in that business, um, I've I've got I have a key, but without their permission, you see what I'm saying? Um, I can't go in there legally. I can't go in there to fix whatever it is that's that's a problem. So Father wanting access to the affairs of man. He's wanting to do things among us. We see the common denominator is him always looking for a man or a woman that will cooperate with him. And I don't have this one in my notes, but you, you, I think it was Deborah. Remember God was, was wanting to win a great victory for his people. And, and, um, and all the men wimped out. And so she said, okay, if y'all are too chicken to do it, I'll do it. She goes, but let it be known. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to say in the history of Israel that God delivered all you men by working together with a woman. Right. See what I'm saying? 
See what I'm saying? I mean, I, that's the New Winslet International paraphrased version. Okay. So, but think about it. Like some of the greatest heroes, so to speak, of the Old Testament, Abraham. God's wanting to do something new. So what does he do? He calls Abraham out to himself. He makes a covenant with Abraham. He explains his plans to Abraham. That book of Galatians we mentioned a moment ago tells us that God told Abraham, his friend, he told him the whole story about Jesus one day coming to this earth. He preached the gospel to Abraham thousands of years before any of it ever came to pass. And Abraham believed it. And the Bible says it was accounted to him for righteousness. Think about, just think about that right there for a minute, okay? So he's looking for somebody to work with, somebody to cooperate with. How about Moses? Man, if you read the account of Moses carefully, you'll see that it's almost as if God is, is begging him to just agree with him, right? Well, God, I'm not, I'm not a good speaker, and I'm this, and I'm that. And, and it, it's like there's an urgency on Father's part, you know, for Moses to quit making excuses, and let's get on with it, all right? And, and we could look at, you know, I'm going to show you a few more verses that really, I think, seal it without any, um, I don't know, argument or what have you. But, but ultimately, um, it was Jesus, right? <laughs> you know, Jesus became a man in every way. Um, where, you know, well, let's do this. Praise God. Um, Jesus became a man and dwelt among us. This became the, the ultimate uh, uh, door of destiny for Father to be able to work uh, here uh, through a human being on planet Earth. Let's go, let's look at a few verses. Isaiah 59 and 16. Am I going too fast again? Is everybody Everybody Okay. Isaiah 59 and 16, okay. It's easy, yeah. I keep forgetting, too, that some of y'all don't have access to, um, to the recordings to, to go back through some of these things. All right, so Isaiah 59 and 16, it says um, this. He saw that there was no man, God speaking. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. How about this one? A few, verses, few chapters over, Isaiah 63 and 5. God again speaking, I looked, but there was no one to help. And I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury, it sustained me. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about looking for an intercessor, somebody that he could work with, and he was amazed, God, God just in, in utter uh, amazement that there, he could not find a single intercessor. Some, what's an intercessor? Someone who bridges the gap between God and man. And he couldn't find one. And so when he says, I will provide myself an intercessor, this is prophetically speaking of Jesus. Right? Jesus now does what? He ever lives to make intercession um, for you and for me. Well, um, let's go now. Praise God. To Luke chapter 10 and verse number 1 and 2. Luke 10, 1 and 2. Amen. This is not our first pass um, by these verses, uh, but we're going to them for a different reason tonight. Luke chapter 10 and verse number 1 and verse number 2. Praise God. All right, I've got about 11 after, so we got about, what, 30 minutes. Um, Man, where does the time go? 
just it's amazing to me. All right. Um, so here here is the here are the two verses. Okay, Jesus. Um, makes a statement after these things the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go and he said to them the harvest truly is great but the laborers are few therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest so we see that Jesus went and ministered. Jesus sent his disciples out two by two, and they ministered. And then he brings 70 others on board and sends them out in pairs of two, which will be 35 pairs of two. And they're ministering. But notice Jesus is telling them, he also told his disciples, that I need you to pray for more people to get involved and help. Okay? So he's not just empowering these men and uh, I believe women. You don't have to believe that. We say men, okay, if that makes everybody happy. He's sending them out to minister, okay. Um, but he's also saying to those that he sends out to minister, pray the Lord of the harvest to send uh, out laborers into his harvest. Now, I want to draw some obvious conclusions to this, but because they are obvious and they are important, um, I know that the devil never wants us to think about it and, and understand it in this light, okay? But based on what Jesus is saying, does the number of workers affect how many people are ultimately reached? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So Jesus is seeing all these people. He talks about they're like sheep with no shepherd there's no one to lead them, no one to minister to them, no one to pray for them, no one to help them. Okay? And he is doing everything that he can, um, which obviously he can do a lot, but on earth as a man, uh, he can't be everywhere at the same time. He's going to be at one place at a time. Um, I'll, I'll never forget in the early days of Heritage, we had um, a prayer line for healing and miracles and people be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And... Um, so the first people that came forward, my wife and I went in there and we started, you know, praying. And after we prayed for a couple people, I looked up and, you know, there was a line, I don't know, had 80 people in it, you know. And, you know, not that I minded, I'd be there to dawn. But you don't realize how long it sometimes takes to minister to a, a person, even if it's just a couple of minutes, you know. Um, 80 people is 240 minutes. <laughs> yeah, you understand. And so Jesus just, you know, person after person after person after person, people by the thousands. I mean, he would try to get some rest somewhere and they'd come wake him up. I mean, you know, they, one time they almost crushed him. He's like, guys, keep a boat handy if I have to jump in it to get out in the water. You know, um, it's tremendous demand. And Jesus had compassion on him. I'm trying to, if, if you think I'm saying that like Jesus especially or, or myself that I was burdened or troubled by that, not at all. But what is Jesus recognizing? He's recognizing that's what discipleship is about, right? Jesus wanting to replicate, reproduce himself in other people who can go then do what it is that, that he does. So, um, you know, based upon what Jesus is saying, does the number of workers affect how many people are reached? Similar question, just ask a different way. Will the same number of people be reached no matter how many workers are involved in the harvest? And again, absolutely not. 
Um, my, uh, I call him my uncle's actually uncle by marriage. My, my, um, father-in-law's, um, what youngest brother. Um, he just went home to be with Jesus not too long ago. He has a unique distinction of, um, the, the, the first, um, uh, off-site live stream. And by the way, I, you know, you, you guys get in, in, uh, in, in agreement with me, but you know, this used to be, um, Michelle, I don't know if there's ever this many people in here when you came to this class. This used to be, I mean, it would be full to the back for discipleship class, you know. Um, and, uh, and so we had just started, and he, it's a long, long story, but he needed our help. And I think we were two or three classes in, and the room was almost full. And I was just, you know, I wasn't wanting to, didn't feel like I needed to, like, take a week off that soon into it. And so... Um, in his spare bedroom, I set up a, you can still find it online anyway, but I set up a, a, a video camera, a phone, iPhone actually on a stand. And, uh, but anyway, in Lakeland, Florida, they're known for a lot of things. One of the things they're known for is strawberries. They have a strawberry festival down there. And if you've ever been in Lakeland, Florida, when it's time to harvest the strawberries, man, thank God for those folks. You know, I mean, they work hours and hours a day, bent over at the waist picking strawberries. And the thing is, if, if, um, you know, if you don't harvest them, they will ruin on the vine. So, you know, what happens, you know, to all the strawberries that no one gets around to harvesting? You know, they die, right? So when, when Jesus is saying that we, you know, we need more people to help, Jesus realized, see, that it kind of almost goes back to, to, to the first part of your question this morning. You, you know, there are folks who would otherwise not be in hell and would be in heaven if there were more people helping in some way to get the gospel, you know, to folks in the world. It's, 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 it's a, you know, I'm not trying to put some kind of, you know, guilt trip or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying here. Um, but beyond that, though, I'm, I'm wanting you, there's an urgency here, obviously, that Jesus you know, is is obviously expressing. But this passage right here, when the Lord began to show me this, you know, some years ago, um, he kept leading me back to this passage. And and if you think about what he's saying, okay, um, why does Jesus tell us to pray for laborers to be sent into the harvest field? Let, let, me, let me say it another way. Why is it necessary for us to ask? He's telling us to pray for more workers to go into the harvest field. Okay? He would never tell us to pray for more workers to go into the harvest field if our praying for more workers to go into the harvest field were not an important part of more workers going into the harvest field. So this tells me that we can pray for workers in the harvest field and God will hear and answer that prayer and move in people's lives for them to go and be a part of the harvest. I'm not talking about strawberries. I'm talking about the precious fruit of the earth, the souls uh, people, human beings, okay? So why is it necessary for us to ask if there is a need for more workers, why doesn't God just go ahead and send them whether we ask or not? Are you seeing this? In other words, there's, a, there's a critical need here on the earth for, for, for workers, and Jesus is saying, you need to pray that Father God will send more workers. Like, well, you pray. You 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 got the main line, man. Jesus, you you know. See again, 
this goes back to this open, lift up your heads, O ye gates. All right? So I'm not trying to, you know, just belabor this. But think about it for a moment. The harvest is His. The laborers are His. But the field and the responsibility for the harvest is ours. Well, hopefully they're not hidden anymore, brother. But do you see what? Do you see it? Is it, is it obvious, right? So, no, we see. There's people. Let me tell you what we're building up to. Okay. Um, do what now? Well, I'm I'm looking at even a bigger picture than that. Um, is when we talk about man. Kind being legal authority on planet Earth, there is um, a doctrine of men that's preached as a commandment of God that um, that God is in control of what happens on this planet, and that whatever happens on this planet is somehow God's will, and it's up to us to to either like it or lump it or figure it out or deal with it. Um, and, and we see that that is absolutely, positively not the truth. Things happen all the time on this planet that are not God's will. And on the other side of that coin is there are all kinds of things that God wills, wants to happen on this planet that aren't happening. And people say, oh, Pastor Mark, that's blasphemy. You, that's heresy. You, you, you don't know what you're talking about. No, you haven't read your Bible. Let me give you a really glaring, obvious one, okay? The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. There are people perishing all around us. Not, not because it's God's will. Are, are, you, are you following what I'm saying here? So, so when we, we talk about, you know, praying that He would send laborers into the harvest, this, I think that one, you know, prayer request from Jesus if we would really think about it and consider what he's saying there and why he said it and what that means it's like if this is so important Jesus what in the world does our asking God the father for workers what does that have to do with anything see we don't we think that if you know Whoever gets saved, God wants them to get saved. Whoever dies, God wants them to die. You know, but clearly we've already established the more workers, the more people are harvested, right? And does Father want just a few people harvested, or does He want everybody harvested? Everybody. He wants everybody harvested. He said He gave us the right to it, the least to it, and He wants us to take care of it. Brother, I see light bulbs in your eyes going off. I see light bulbs in your head going off. I'm sure it has everybody else, but this is this is really hit you, hasn't it, bro? I can, I can see it in your face, almost like almost a stunned look on his face, like you know, I've been there, but it's kind of like where where's this been my whole life, right? It's right, yeah, right there. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm curious. A couple months ago, you, uh, I remember talking about some concerns, and you said, why, "Why don't I pray that God raises up some men and women in Dallas? You know, what I'm saying to do something about this stuff." And, and now I'm like, well. Um, you think that the Lord is waiting for prayers to come to Him that they might manifest? Or you see, this is where it gets confusing. Yeah, but see, here's the thing: I don't think that Jesus thinks that. You see what I'm saying? Yes, sir. 
It's not just, it's not just something that I read in a book somewhere it sounded good. This is Jesus. Jesus, if Jesus was standing here, I, 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 listen, think of how many times you know, Jesus would be like in the heat of the battle, man, casting out devils, healing folks. You know, he'd look around, he's like, man, you guys, first of all, get involved. But then he realized you got him, okay? Then you got 12 disciples, that's 13. Then you got 70 more, that's 83. Jesus, like, we need way more than 83 folks. But shouldn't this change the way we pray? Like, shouldn't we, like, pray on behalf of, like, offer everything? Like, every time some kind of national uh, tragedy happens, we pray for those things or this you know what I'm saying? Like, really, oh, I do know what you're saying, brother. If we're the legal authority on this earth, Amen. if we're the door, if Father is wanting to do something and He's looking for somebody to cooperate with Him to do it, do you see? Again, do you see? Do you, I, I began this section by saying that this is one of those things the devil never wants us to understand, and and there's. I'm not saying I'm not sensing any of it in here. You know, maybe there is and everybody's just being polite or whatever. But this is one of those things that I have received the most blowback, pushback from throughout all my years of, of, of teaching and preaching. And, and I've asked the Lord, you know, why is this? And Brother Keith Moore has an expression that I just, it's just a God thing, okay? That the Lord told him, he said, people are looking for a no-fault religion. And what he means by that is people do not want to accept any kind of responsibility for anything in their lives or families, not everybody, but a lot of people, right? Um, but especially when it comes to responsibility for what's going on here on the earth. See, when somebody told me, and, and, and this is why I think it took me a while to catch on, because when somebody told me there was something that I could do that would improve my condition of life, Things that I could obey by faith, money that I could give, tithes that I could pay, offerings that I could sow, things that I could confess that would make a measurable, tangible, verifiable difference in my life. I'm not talking about wink, wink, nod, nod, everybody knows. I'm talking about for real difference in my life. This was, this was the greatest news and revelation I had received since salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it still to this day amazes me how many people in the body of Christ do not want to hear that. But it comes back to this whole, um, in other words, to, to lean into and embrace what, listen, not what I'm saying, what the Scripture is saying, what Jesus is saying. To lean into this and to embrace this means that there's some responsibility on our part, that there's actually something we can do to make a difference. And if we don't do it, the difference won't be made. See, no. See, we'd rather believe that everything that happens is God's will. You know. But it doesn't seem like a burden, though. It seems like, it, I mean, isn't it pretty cool that God allows Come on, brother. You preaching to the choir right here, brother. I think so, right? I think so. See, for me, it's not something I have to do. It's something I get to do. See the difference in that? Come on, brother. Yes, sir. Get to be a part of it. Get to be a part of it. Listen, you know, to, to be used by God to make a difference for His glory in the life of somebody else, even on the smallest scale, there's, there's, there's nothing this world has to offer that compares to that. It's because of what we were created for. It's what, it's what we were born to do. Amen. Man, I've been, I don't need to get started down this road, but I, my, I mentioned, I think, before, I don't know in here or not, but my 
son and soon to be uh, daughter in grace, um, uh, they gave me one of my heroes in the faith. They gave me his biography for my birthday. It's uh, Dr. Rick Renner. And um, man, you know, you talk about inspiring, challenging. Um, it's just, it's just phenomenal. But see, the Lord was looking for somebody who would dare to believe Him and would dare to work together with Him to make a difference in the former USSR, those thirteen is it thirteen republics, I believe that were this. And you know, this was in 1991 or the early days of 92, I believe, right after the fall. Uh, you know, all that came apart. That he moved his wife and three small children, the oldest one was eight years old, um, to live there. And I knew that God had done a lot with Rick Renner, but after I'm, it's a 37 hour audio book of his autobiography, and I had no idea the millions. I'm telling you one day when we get to heaven and we start to get church history in perspective that you're going to see, and I, I'm not, I'm just telling you, I didn't know this, but, I'm, but I know it now. You're going to see that one of the absolute greatest revivals that have, has ever taken place on planet Earth, God used Rick Renner to, to launch and spearhead and oversee it in, uh, in the former Soviet Union. Um, it's, it, I'm just telling you, um, we're talking about, remember when, when Jed Clampett was trying to explain uh, to his sister about selling the oil well for, uh, I forget how much was it, $30, something like that. And you remember this one in this first, y'all, anybody at Beverly Hillbillies? No? Okay. And she's, she's like all into it. She was the educated one in the bunch, so to speak. And, and um, so, you know, why am I talking about this? Anyway, she said, <laughs> too far now to back off, right? So I don't remember the exact number, but basically he said, uh, yeah, I sold that oil well for $30. And she's like, oh, $30? He goes, yeah, but it was a strange kind of dollar I've never heard of. That man called a million dollars, <laughs> right? So, so we're, we're talking millions, millions of people. Um, but anyway... Um, but again, it's just a man that God spoke to that, um, you know, he said, yes. Remember, everything God wants to do with you, through you, and in you begins with showing up. He showed up. He dared to believe God. He, he, he was willing to, to um, live in a country where if you fed, had food to feed your children, you had to find it on the black market because there wasn't nothing in the grocery store, you know, and, and no heat in their house and... and but again, man, how, whoo, praise God how God used that man. And he's still using him. It's a, it's a phenomenal thing. But notice now, what if he'd have said no? I'm sure Father would have found, tried to find somebody else, talk to somebody else, what have you. But he was so uniquely gifted. Um, he studied the Greek language at Oklahoma University. He didn't go to a Bible school. He wanted to know how to, to, to read and write Greek. He wanted to know it frontwards and backwards so that he could teach the New Testament from the Greek language. And, and what he didn't know is that the Russian language is phonetically based upon um, that, uh, those Greek alphabet. 
He just, there was a Bible laying next to him in a missions conference. He picked it up. It was a Russian Bible, and he could read it. He's like, how can I read Russian? He didn't know this, right? But see how, again, the Lord's working, and I, I said don't get me started talking about this, but, but, but it's just what we're talking about now. So it's very easy to say, yeah, well, God would have done all that in Russia if Rick Renner had said no. Well, maybe he could have found somebody else. I don't know, but I, I don't think so. If nobody had have said yes, if nobody had have been willing to take those steps of faith and, and, to, and to go to a place in the world where everybody who was somebody said, you are crazy to go there. They kill Christians there, right? But he knew he'd heard from God, and he went and he did it. And because he went and did it, God had, a, an, <sighs> right? he had an ageless door of destiny. Do you see how this works, right? It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, and, he, and he sees every one of us uh, in, in that same light. Yes, sir. I just want to share the guys in the world. We talk about the echo of God. So some people will, uh, you know what I'm saying, uh, come up again in different, various ways. And then you know when God is communicating to you. Well, a couple of days ago, I, I was talking to a friend. And I think we were talking about discipleship or something. I don't know what my question was, but it led to a rabbit hole, right? Well, she, she, uh, she was telling me that... Um, Think about all these. I mean, there are all these, these remnants in the history. You know what I'm saying? Uh, with whether with uh, uh, was it Noah or you know so far so yeah. Far, there was always this remnant, and I didn't know what remnant was. And I'm like, isn't that a necklace or something? But she's like, no, it's a what you know what I'm saying like uh, what's left. You know what I'm saying? A uh, small portion or something like that. But anyway, I just thought that it was cool that that's coming up again. You know what I'm saying? That God is just looking for someone to be faithful. I've actually got remnants in my note I, notes. I just hadn't got there, bro. I literally, how I can show you words in my notes? Yeah. My two favorite remnants are Joshua and Caleb. Okay. Yeah, that, no, think like my grandmother used to buy remnants um, at the fabric store. And it's basically pieces of cloth that are left over that's not really big enough to make a, 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 a what, do you, what were those suits that we used to wear back in the lug, leisure suit. Anybody remember the leisure suits, right? <laughs> my mother could make the leisure suits with the best of them, brother. I'm just telling you. All right? But it's not enough material after that. So like my mother-in-law uh, buys them and uh, makes quilts and things out of them. So remnants are like the, the, the pieces that are, that are left. And so remember, the, the, Joshua and Caleb's entire generation died in the wilderness. But they went in and took the promised land with, with that next generation. So they were, the, they were the remnants. So anyway, praise the name of the living God. Um, so the Bible uses expressions like partnership, co-laborers. How about that? We are co-laborers together um, with him. And then the quote that I mentioned earlier from Miles Monroe, prayer is earthly permission for, I said divine interference, I misquoted it, is for heavenly interference. Earthly permission for heavenly interference. So when we... Um, George was mentioning, you know, that situation that he and I talked about and prayed over. Um, notice how, you know, someone in your life that maybe for whatever reason they're not listening to you or they don't want to hear what you have to say. Pray. Pray that God will surround them with good people. Pray that God will bring somebody into their life that they will hear the truth from. You, you, you follow what I'm saying? That praying for the harvest, praying for the laborers for um, the, uh, the harvest. Okay. Now, man, we are just about out of time. So this next section, again, it's, it, it ties into all this and it's what I call God's will and man's authority. 
See, once we understand that, that man is legal authority on the earth, then how does that impact or affect God's will? Um, you know, what God desires to take place on this earth. You know, how does that, um, how do those two things work together? And so here, here are the points that I made a moment ago, okay? Not everything that happens is God's will, okay? And so, you know, where you often hear this kind of talk is like some uh, tragedy. You know, people will call a tornado the finger of God or, you know, the, these things. And it's like, you know, um, God works in mysterious ways, you know. And just you hear these, uh, these things to, to somehow, you know, put a blanket statement over everything that happens, good, bad, indifferent, what have you as being God's will. So number one, God's will, man's authority. First thing, not everything that happens on this earth is God's will. And then number two, not everything that is God's will automatically happens. Not everything that is God's will automatically happens. Yes, sister. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm a pastor's kid. Okay. And a close friend of mine passed away um, years Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, what, and because people may be listening online, I don't know if they heard your voice or not, but what Sister's talking about is some things that, you know, happened in people's lives that she knew or was related to, close to. And, you know, her initial thought was, you know, get mad at God about this. And then, see, that's, that's where the devil, because knows who's the only person that can help us, right? <laughs> it's God. And so the devil wants us to blame God instead of him, he wants us to, you know, think that it's somehow God's will. And why did you, my, my, um, it's a, it's a wrong choice of words. But when I say my favorite, I mean, I, I'm poking my tongue all the way through my cheek here. Okay. It's not my favorite. It makes me nauseated. You know, when people say, why did God let that happen? <laughs> it's like, are you, are you kidding me? You know, I mean, somebody climb up on the roof of this building and jump off and break their leg or die, and we say, why did God let that happen? Again, God didn't let that happen. That was a choice that a person who's given dominion over this earth made. Now, obviously, the devil, and I'm, I don't mean to be harsh, you know, people that get caught up in uh, drug overdoses or people who um, become so emotionally conflicted and, and Satan bearing down on them and they try to take their own lives and confusion. All that, all that stuff's very real. I'm not trying to... Um, in, in any ways, in any way, make light of that or or be disrespectful or anything like that. But you know, we we've got to get a hold of the things that we know are true, and what we know is that these are choices that people make. Um, remember, Satan wants to influence your thinking because your thinking is what generates and produces your emotions, and your emotions that's what influences your choices, your decisions. So your mind, emotions, and will, your soul. How you think determines how you feel. How you feel influences what you choose. So if the devil can get somebody in a place in their mind where they, they become focused upon to, even to the point of obsessing over certain uh, things, losses, disappointments in, in life, 
that now that's generating um, uh, heaviness and depression and hopelessness and helplessness. Notice now the pain of all that makes suicide seem like the only escape when, of course, we know that it's not. But that person in that moment may not be thinking that way. Right? But to, to come alongside after that um, at a funeral or whatever and say, you know, we just don't understand why God took them. It's like if they're born again, he received them, but he didn't take them. It's a difference between receiving something and taking something, right? You can receive a gift or you can go in a store and steal something, right? That's taking but receiving is, is a completely different thing. So, and words mean something, right? Words mean something. So, let me try to land this plane right here, 640. Um, what we'll begin with next week is, and, and we could spend weeks on this. We're not going to do that. We, we got too much we've got to get, get said. But pay attention as you read your Bible and, and see all the different verses, verse after verse after verse in the Bible, speaks of God's will as something to be sought out, something to be discovered, something to be understood, something uh, to be followed. The will of God is something we have to surrender. Remember, Jesus said, not my will, Father, your will be done. Because part of him, you know, did not want to, his flesh did not want to suffer in the way that it was uh, about to suffer for us. So the will of God is something that the Bible says to understand it, to know it, to seek it out, to surrender to it, to prove it, to pray for it. See, none of that's necessary if everything that happens is God's will. You, you don't have to understand that. You don't have to seek any of that out. It's just like, oh, well, there happened. There's, well, I know what God's will is now because it just happened. No, see, the, the Scriptures absolutely positively do not support that. Okay. Um, okay, so praise God. Let's, um, let me give you one verse on that one, Ephesians 5 and 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, so we can understand God's will. He wants you to understand it. He wants you to know what He desires and what He wants for you and what He wants you to do for Him. Uh, he's not hiding this from us. This is not... Like, you know, the, the, the carrot in front of the donkey that's always seemingly right out of grasp for us. No, no, no. That's, that's absolutely not how this works. Now, there are things that, um, that we may not be mature enough at this point for God to, to reveal to us. Um, when Rick Renner first went to the former Soviet uh, Union, um, he told everybody that he, had, that, that he and his family were going there for one year that they were making a one-year commitment, okay? That was 30 years ago, um, January the 28th of this year, okay? Um, his children have dual citizenship. They, <laughs> you understand? So, uh, you know, he, he went, the Lord showed him that his will, not the whole scope of it, showed him a bracket of it. He submitted to it. He surrendered. When he got there, now, if the Lord had said to him, uh, Rick, I, I want you to go there for the rest of your life. That may have been too much, too big of a decision for him to make. So the will of God is something that has to be sought out, understood. It's something that God is not hiding from us. But again, the full measure of it is there's still parts. There's still things that are God's will for my life, God's will for your life, that's still unfolding and developing. Yes, sir. So I'm, I'm sure that 
what we're going to be talking about is probably what it looks like when man uses his authority outside of God's will, right? But is there any any chance we can like talk about what it looks like to seek His will, especially when it comes to like life life choices? You know what I mean? Like uh, reflecting a career or, or, or partner. Or like I'm on. That. I'm gonna show you what the Lord showed me when I was 15 years old. That has really, really served me well. Um, it's very simple, but I think it'll it'll make a lot of sense to you. We'll get there next week, okay? All right. Father, we love you. Thank you for life and peace. Thank you for what you're teaching us, how you're helping us. Father, we, um, just in light of what you've had for us to focus on tonight, we pray for laborers, Lord, to be sent into the harvest. We pray, Father, for uh, young people, old people, Lord, all kinds of people, Lord, that, that you've tapped on the shoulder, maybe some of them many years ago, and, and they, said, they said no, they said later, they ran from it. Um, Lord, I thank you that you're bringing them back around full circle, face-to-face once again with their destiny in your kingdom, Father. And I thank you, Lord, that they're going to say yes this time. They're going to surrender their will to your will. And, Lord, I thank you that you are not done with this nation. You are not done, Lord, with this earth. You've still got big, big plans, Father. Uh, and I thank you that you are raising up a new generation of men and women who are going forth to serve you with signs and wonders, confirming the gospel of the kingdom as it's preached. Lord, I thank you for the men and women that are listening to me and participating in this class right now. But Lord, I also thank you for the countless numbers of lives that these harvesters are going to reach for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. and amen. Thank you so much for being here uh, this evening. Praise God. Yes, sister. This class was even more exciting and eye-opening than the God class being class. Okay. Like, it, amen. This, this one hit. <laughs> well, I mean, praise God. Amen.